Um, so why don't I pray as we get into this? Um, Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for this incredible letter uh, that's been recorded for us uh, to read and to study. And Lord, I pray you give us real insight as we look at it uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we started looking at the New Testament book uh, of Ephesians, and we're going to be looking at this book for a while. And the reason is because this particular New Testament book or letter uh, really gets at our culture's deepest longings. And what we were talking about last week is that everyone in our culture right now has a real longing for renewal, to be renewed, Uh, longing to cast off all the things that we don't like about ourselves uh, and about our society and to put on a new self or to, to exist in a new and better society. That seems to be the deepest longing that we have in our culture. And the book of Ephesians actually tells us how to do that. It actually lays out for us, here's how you can be renewed as a person and here's how you can bring renewal to the world around you. And so this whole book, which is really a letter, it's, it's written into two halves. The first half makes the point that renewal is possible for everyone. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter what your background is, renewal is possible for each and every person. Uh, that's the first half of the book. The second half makes the point that it's then possible for everyone to bring renewal. Uh, and so if you've been renewed in any way, it's possible for you then to bring that renewal into the world around you. And so we're going to be looking at the first half until uh, just about Easter. And uh, what we're looking into each week right now is, what is it that makes renewal possible? So if renewal is possible for everyone, how? How is that? How could you be renewed? What is it that makes that possible? Um, What enables it to happen in a person's life? And what we're going to see today is that renewal, it always starts by looking up. Renewal always begins by looking up. Uh, In other words, it always comes from the outside in. It always comes from outside of you. Um, And I realize when I say that, it kind of flies in the face of what our society teaches us today. So like today we're taught that renewal comes from looking within, right? The the deeper you look inside, uh, the more you'll find the power to change your life. Um, That somewhere in there, you just have to look hard and long enough, you can discipline yourself to find it. And uh, I was thinking about that this week and I remembered when I was in elementary school, uh, which is a long time ago now, um, a couple years in a row, maybe two or three years in a row, they had these, uh, I don't know how to describe it. We had these assemblies with motivational speakers who weren't so much motivational speakers as they were motivational singers. Uh, This was a husband and wife duo, and uh, this was during the time of MC Hammer. And so track suits and hammer pants um, is what they they wore in our cafeteria assembly room. And uh, just to give you the the complete picture, uh, as they wore their hammer pants and track suits, they didn't really talk to us so much as they sang motivational songs to us and they danced on stage. Uh, now, as a like seven or eight-year-old, you're like, this is, this is my first concert. This is the coolest thing I've ever been to. And so you look up to these you know, hammer pant clad people who are singing to you, and I'll never forget their hit song. Uh, not a hit on the Billboard music chart, but a hit on the Caneland Elementary School lunchroom chart, okay? This was their hit song. Um, by the way, that's the place where stars are born. So. Um, The chorus is etched into my memory even today, uh, many, many, many years later. Here it is. I'm special. You're special. He's special too. And all you have to do to make your dreams come true is believe in you. That was the song. And we would go around singing these lyrics, this chorus on the playground and in the hallways of the school. I'm special. You're special. He's special too. And all you have to do to make your dreams come true is believe in you. This is what I was taught as a 
eight, nine, 10-year-old uh, thing. So what's that telling us? What, what did that tell me in my you know, eight-year-old self? Well, it told me that I don't really need anyone or anything from the outside to make me special, to help me achieve my dreams. In other words, to become my best self, it's all there. It's all already in me. Um, all I need to do to make my dreams come true is believe in me. Um, but I want you to think about whether or not that's really true. I mean, all, are all the resources that you need to, you know, achieve your dreams and make your life be the way, is it really in there? Do you already have all the resources in you? I mean, I thought about it for a minute. I thought, actually, even the teachers in my school and our school administrators didn't believe that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have taught us math and science and English, and, right? If, if it was already in there, they would just kind of do daycare. Uh, but they taught us stuff, mostly. And so clearly, we needed resources from the outside in order to make our dreams come true. So what am I saying? Well, I'm saying that uh, renewal is, is never possible from the inside. That it always comes from the outside in. At its heart, it's always from the outside. And let me, let me try and illustrate this further. Ah, but you say, what about the human body, right? The human body has tremendous capacity to heal itself. And so you get sick and what happens? The body heals itself, right? You go to sleep at night and the body gets to work repairing all the damage you did during the day. That's what's going on while you're asleep. And so the body has all the resources it needs to heal itself. I asked a, a friend of mine this week who's a doctor, I was like, is that really true? And, and actually, no, the starting point of our healing doesn't actually come from the inside. There are external resources that are needed. Like, is there something outside the body that I need in order to, you know, get over a sickness uh, or to have a bone uh, heals? Well, yeah, at, at its basic core, I need water and I need food and I need oxygen. So my body is always taking in resources from the outside. I mean, just what happens to a body, even a relatively healthy body, without water, food, and oxygen? It dies. And so no one is truly self-sufficient. Everyone is dependent. Uh, that's just the way it is. And so renewal has to come from the outside in. Even those of you who think you're looking to find it uh, inside, even though you think you're finding it in there, uh, you're actually still starting with an external resource because someone somewhere along the line, maybe a tracksuit-wearing motivational singer told you, you just need to look in. And that's even an external resource telling you to look in. And so what we're going to see today is that renewal always comes from the outside in. And the process of renewal always starts by looking up. And when I say looking up, that's a, I guess that's a sort of euphemism uh, for looking to God. Because I guess that's where we talk about where God is. That, you know, the big man upstairs, you know, the big guy up in the clouds um, and all that. But actually, it is a biblical idea to say that God is up. If you've read the book of Isaiah, you get to Isaiah chapter 6, and Isaiah actually meets God. He, he goes into the throne room of God, and he says, I saw the Lord high and exalted. And so it's appropriate to say, if you want to look to God, you look up, because God is always exalted. He is always high. Um, and after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven. And so I think it is it's totally appropriate to say, when we look to God, we look up. Now, the passage that we're looking at today is going to show us the starting point of renewal. It's going to show us really where renewal comes from uh, and then what, uh, what results from renewal. How, what's the result that comes to a person who's been renewed? You could put it this way. Here's three points. Uh, the starting point of renewal, the source of renewal, and the solution that renewal brings. I don't always alliterate, but I did this week. For some of you, you like that sort of thing. So there we go. The starting point of renewal, the source of renewal, and the solution that renewal brings. 
And also, normally, I like to teach, uh, the way I like to teach, teach a passage is to take it phrase by phrase, verse by verse. Um, but as you had it read to you, you kind of realize that might take us four or five hours. So we're not going to do that. I'm going to take it, uh, we're just going to do a few themes, and you're going to need to, to dig in. Um, here's why it would take forever. Verses 3 to 14 in the original language is one sentence. There's one sentence, one like really long run-on sentence. Uh, it's over 200 words. Uh, it's 12 verses in English. Uh, it's been broken up into it's 200 word sentence. Um, just to put that in perspective from you, uh, most of the sentences I'm going to speak to you today, I counted, are between uh, six and 12 words long. Okay, so this one is 200. Um, and if you're counting, this sentence is eight words. Um, so the passage we're going to look at today, uh, 200 words. And uh, the way it's woven together, uh, we, we'd almost do it an injustice to break it apart phrase by phrase. So we're going to look at it thematically. Um, and the first thing that jumps off the page, actually, is praise. And that leads us then to that first point. The starting point of renewal is praise. That's the beginning point. Take a look. The first thing to see is to notice the passionate tone of the entire passage. Um, I mean, the fact that this is just one long sentence in the original language tells you that Paul's praise for God, uh, it just sort of tumbles out of his mouth. Like he can't help himself. It just, he just keeps writing, you know, it just keeps going. Uh, it starts this way in verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it carries on nonstop all the way through verse 14. Uh, this past summer when we were on lockdown um, back in the UK, we were allowed to meet up with one other household outside in a park. And uh, so we met up with a family from our church. Um, they've got three really wonderful children. One was like a baby and the other two are a bit older. And so we met in this park that had these nice trails. And so we're kind of walking the trails uh, with this family. Um, and at one point, Emmy is walking and talking with the parents. They're kind of behind me. And I'm walking with the two older children, uh, their daughter on my left and their son on my right. And the daughter is talking to me nonstop about Harry Potter. Like she cannot stop talking about Harry Potter, about everything that she knows about Harry Potter, every question she has about Harry Potter. She just goes on and on and on describing the characters and what they do and why that's important. It just continues, just constant going on and on and on. And at the exact same time, their son, who's on my right, is doing the exact same thing about Minecraft, which I still don't understand what it is. I guess it's a game that you play and you do things in it. Um, and he was doing the same thing, talking about all the little worlds that he's built and the missions that he's gone on and, you know, how something happened and he lost his whatever and it's just going on and on. So the two of them at the same time, um, just going on and on about these things that they love. And it wasn't just for a couple of minutes. This was the entire afternoon. Love for and praise for Harry Potter. Love for and praise for Minecraft poured out of these two children for a couple of hours. They couldn't help themselves. It just poured out. That's Paul as he comes to this passage. It's just pouring out of him. He can't help himself. But notice this praise, it isn't just for anyone. Paul's not praising Harry Potter or Minecraft. He's not even praising one of the other apostles or even the church he's writing the letter to. He's praising God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's actually a Trinitarian shape to his praise. There's praise for God the Father, there's praise for God the Son, and at the end, there's praise for God the Spirit. Oh, oh boy, here we go again with the Trinity. We've been there, haven't we? But this is important because Christians worship a God who is a Trinity, a triunity. 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Three persons, each person fully God in perfect loving union with one another for all of creation. And so when Paul is praising God, he's praising a triune God. And if you look close enough, you'll see that Paul includes praise for all three persons of the Trinity. And this doesn't, this part doesn't exactly jump off the page. The praise does, but um, let me just show you how you see this. So uh, look at the very start of verse six. It says, to the praise of his glorious grace. And then skip down to the very end of verse 12, almost the same phrase, to the praise of his glory. And then all the way to the end of our passage, the end of verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Three essentially identical phrases. And by the way, when you're reading through the Bible and you come across a passage and something gets repeated, you should pay attention to that. That's, that's like a, a hint saying, hey, this is important. Uh, and so uh, that should grab your attention. And in, in this instance, it actually splits the passage into three sections. Everything in verses three to six, if you read closely, is praise for God the Father. Remember how it started? Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then starting in verse 7 through verse 12, Paul shifts his attention to praise for God the Son. I mean, there's some more praise for the Father that slips in there, but mostly he lists out all the incredible things that Jesus Christ has done. And it concludes in verse 12 with, again, that almost that same phrase, to the praise of his glory. And then verses 13 and 14 our praise for God the Spirit, concluding with that same phrase, to the praise of his glory. Now, why does this matter? Why does it matter? Why are we stopping to look at this praise that's here in this passage? Why does it matter? Well, it matters because praise of someone or something always leads to some degree to an honesty about ourselves. Praise of someone or something greater than us always leads to some degree to an honesty about ourselves. Okay, think about it like this. I, I know looking out here, uh, there's, there might be one football fan uh, here. Maybe there's two. I guess we can include me halfway in there. My team's out. But th- later on today, millions of people will sit in front of their televisions and they will praise a guy named Tom Brady, who, again, you non-football fans, is not part of the Brady Bunch. He's an American football player. Um, and uh, people will sit around in their living rooms and they will praise him. They will talk about his talent. They will talk about all the Super Bowls that he's won in the past, about his records, about his grit and determination, about his beautiful wife and children. And they'll marvel at how someone his age, he's 43, how he's still at the top of his game and how he can go to a mediocre team and take them to the Super Bowl in the first year with him and on and on and on. This will, this will go on all, all evening. People will be doing this. But along with that praise will be an honesty, a reflection in one's own life that we don't quite match up. Because here's what happens. Whenever you come into contact with something or someone glorious, you very quickly become aware of your own flaws. Now that sounds like a bad thing, but it's really not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's, in fact, that's part of the process of renewal and Here at Christchurch, we talk about renewal, not just as a one-time thing, but a continual process. And we talk about four steps or four postures of renewal. All of our services follow this pattern. First, we look up to praise God. And when you see him in his glory and all of his holiness and all of his righteousness, that causes you then to self-reflect, to recognize your own flaws, your own weakness. And so what do we do? We confess and we bring those weaknesses before the Lord. 
But then the Lord lifts us up. He lifts us up through his work for us. And then he sends us out. And so we often talk about it. Uh, renewal is up, down, up, and out. We look up to praise God. We look down to confess our sin. God lifts us up, and then he sends us out on mission. So here's the point. Here's why praise matters. If you want to be renewed, you have to start with praise. You have to come into contact with something glorious before you can recognize your own weakness, your own brokenness, your own lack of glory. Because you won't even recognize you need renewal until that happens. And so renewal always begins with praise. Remember, it comes from the outside in. And so it starts with praise for something outside of you. And so Christian renewal starts with praise for God. We look to him. And as we do that, it leads us to self-reflect. Our own brokenness, sinfulness, weakness, and our need for him. But the Christian gospel is not that you're down and you have to lift yourself back up. It's not that you're down and you have to look inside to find the strength, the willpower, the self-control, the goodness to sort of make yourself acceptable before God. That's not the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is that God himself lifts you up. And do you know what's really behind that? It's that he comes to you rather than you coming to him. God comes to you rather than you coming to him. And that leads us then to the second point, the source of renewal. Here's the source of renewal. I'll just tell you up top. The source of renewal is God himself. God himself is the source of renewal. Now, woven through this passage uh, is a pretty tough doctrine called the doctrine of election. You might have picked up on that as we read it. Um, And let me just show you briefly where it is in our passage. Uh, There's at least 13 places in these 12 verses where this doctrine comes up. Uh, So we can't really skip over this. This is pretty much what the passage is about. Uh, So just scan back through with me. Uh, In verse 4, it says, He chose us. Then it says, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. Verse 5, He predestined us. Again, later in verse 5, He predestined us to, to adoption to sonship in accordance with His pleasure and in accordance with His will. Uh, And then verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. See, these are all God acting on our behalf, God choosing, God predestining, God doing things in accordance with his pleasure, with his will, uh, things that he freely gives. Verse 9, he makes known to us the mystery of what? Of his will, according to his good pleasure, which again, he purposed in Christ. And then verse 11, in him we were also chosen, and there's predestined again according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his own will. It's all over this passage, this doctrine of election. It's all over it. And let me just state what the doctrine is, and then I'll try and explain it. So here's the doctrine of election. Um, Here it is. God's choice of us in eternity is ultimate, and our choice of him therefore, is caused by his choice. Okay, that was a bit dense. Let me simplify it again. God chose us before we chose him. It's a more simple way of putting it. God chose us before we chose him. Or one more way, let's flip it around. Our choice of God is caused by his choosing of us. Three ways of saying the same thing. And if you're reading this passage and you take it at its word for what it says, then we can't avoid this doctrine. Now, if you've never heard of this doctrine before, you might be feeling a bit uncomfortable. That, this doctrine does make 
uh, both people who are hearing of it for the first time or have heard of it over and over and over again in their lives makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Um, actually, even if you've known it, 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 it is. It's going to make you uncomfortable. And that makes sense because the idea of being chosen always brings up bad memories for me uh, of the playground in elementary school. Maybe I was thinking about the, the singers and that made me think of the playground in elementary school. Uh, so right after the assembly with the armed special people, we'd go out to recess and we'd go out to play football or basketball. And you, you just need to know I was never really a good athlete. Uh, this is the plight uh, when you sort of have a growth spurt at a young age and you're a pretty tall person, uh, your motor skills don't really catch up to your height uh, for quite some time, if ever. And so we would go out to play football or basketball and then you had the dreaded moment, right? There were two captains and usually they were like the best players or at least they thought they were. Uh, and then everyone would line up and they would choose one by one, choose teams. And in that moment, every child is praying, please God, don't let me be last. Please God, don't let me be last. Like you've heard the phrase, there's no atheists in foxholes. I say there's no atheists on school playgrounds. Uh, because you just don't want to be the last one picked. Well, the doctrine of divine election is really nothing like that. It's nothing like that at all. The doctrine of God's choosing doesn't work like that. In fact, it's like that's an uncomfortable moment, but this doctrine is actually one of the most comforting doctrines you can come across in the whole Bible. And you can find the comfort pretty clearly in verse 4. Look at verse 4. For he chose us in him. There's our doctrine. Doctrine of election. And then here, look at this. Before the creation of the world. To be holy and blameless in his sight. And do you know what that means? Do it means that God chose us before the creation of the world? It means that God's election, his choosing of a person, happened before they were born. It happened before their parents were born, before their grandparents, before their great-great-great-great-great-grandparents were born. Before there's even a speck of dirt or a droplet of water to speak of. And here's what that means. It means that God's choosing is not based on merit. It's not based on what you've done. It's not based on what your ancestors have done. And it's all done according to, do you remember we saw in the passage, it's all done according to his pleasure. It says it twice in the passage. That God chose us, he predestined us according to his pleasure. Just look at what comes immediately before verse 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So... God's choosing is about blessing, not about winning. He's not trying to like get the best people on his team. It's about him blessing. And then look what comes immediately after verse 4. In verse 5, it says, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship, which means we get all the benefits of being a son, a child of God, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us. And then the rest of the passage is all about what God did in Jesus Christ in order to give you his grace. Not about what you have to do in order to receive something from him. And so I get it that on the surface this doctrine is uncomfortable, but think about the alternative. Think about how that narrative goes. How do, think about how this goes. If you're a Christian and I say to you, why are you a, why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? 
You'd probably say because you chose it. Either it made sense to you logically or emotionally or was handed down to you from your parents and grandparents, but then eventually you chose it for yourself in Sunday school or vacation Bible school or something like that, right? Why are you Christian? Well, you might say you chose it. But what does looking at it from that perspective really do? What does that really do? It makes you the primary actor in your salvation. You're the one who brought about your salvation. And sure, God did what he did at the cross, so maybe in a way he made the first move, but when it comes to you personally and every person, God all of a sudden becomes at the mercy of their choosing him to fill up heaven. So it's like God's like, hey, I did this amazing thing for you, and I'll just sit back and wait, and I hope people choose me. But if it's only that, then God, he's beholden to you. You somehow are above God in this. Or let's think about it like this. Let's go back to our question. Why are you a Christian? And if you answer, because I chose to receive Christ, in other words, you're the primary actor, then there is a problem there. And let me show you where the problem is. Because here's the next question. Well, why did you receive Christ and other people haven't? And the answer is, well, because I admitted my sins. Okay. Why have you admitted your sins and other people haven't? Well, I humbled myself and other people didn't. Okay, well, why did you humble yourself and other people didn't? You see how this can can just keep going. And eventually, as long as you make your choice the ultimate reason for becoming a Christian, as long as you're the primary actor in this relationship, eventually it comes back down to your merit. It comes back down to what you choose. The real bottom line of why you're a Christian and other people aren't is you're better. Right? That's the only place it can go. You're more enlightened. You're more humble. You're more spiritually in tune. Or maybe you say, well, there's nothing better about me. I was just more willing. (laughs) Well, now you're more willing than other people. Whatever it is, as long as you're the primary actor in the relationship, as long as you're the one with the ultimate choice, your salvation is based on your merit because of, uh, and it's to the pleasure of your will. And if you ask me, that's more uncomfortable than the doctrine that says, I choose God because he first chose me. I choose God because before the creation of the world, before I ever thought or did or said anything, he chose me. He chose to bless me with every spiritual blessing. And so that's the doctrine of election, that God chose us before we chose him. Or to state it again another way, our choice of God is caused by his choosing us. And what could be more comforting than that? What could be more comforting than that I don't have to perform, I don't have to build up some sort of credit with God in order to receive his blessing, to receive his grace, to be adopted into his family? What could be more comforting then that I chose God simply because he already chose me. And I bring nothing except my brokenness and my weakness and my failures. What could be more comforting than that? Well, we've been circling our point a bit. Uh, remember, our point is the source of renewal is God. And here's what the doctrine shows us. Here's what it shows. Do you want renewal? Do you want to be renewed? Do you want to cast off all the stuff about your life that you're not happy about? Do you want somewhere to, to go? Do you want to have somewhere that you can bring your weaknesses, your brokenness, your sin? Do you want somewhere you can go with that and have it be taken away? 
going inside yourself, you'll never get there. Because the deeper in you go, the more weakness you'll find. The deeper in you go, the more brokenness you'll find. The more you'll find that you don't have the resources you need. We talked about it last week. We'll talk about it again in a few weeks. But in Ephesians chapter 2, it says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. And so that's what's deeper in. What's deeper in is cravings of the flesh, transgression, sin, the ways of the world. And so what that means is renewal can only come from the outside in. Listen again to our passage, chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Now this passage is describing what God did to give us renewal. And so you see what Jesus Christ was doing when he went to the cross was he was dying that death that you and I should have died, that we deserve to die. He died as a transgressor. He died as a sinner. He died as if he was the one who followed the ways of the world. And yet he never transgressed. He never sinned. He, if you just read even one of the accounts of his life in the New Testament, you'll find very quickly that he did not live according to the ways of this world. And yet he died as though he did. And he did that so that you and I could be renewed. That we could experience renewal. So that Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 could be true. That he could make us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. All of that is done outside of us. That's all done external to us. That's all done by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so it's from the outside in. And what could be more comforting than that? What could be more comforting than that, that God did all the work on your behalf? Now, I admit this hasn't been the most practical of talks, and you're not really walking away with... Um, really any to-dos this week. Um, But there aren't a whole lot of to-dos in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Uh, On the other hand, there's a lot in chapters 4, 5, and 6. But let me just ever so briefly show you what happens when a whole group of people experience renewal together. And that leads us to our third point. So the first one, the starting point of renewal is praise. The second point, the source of renewal is God himself. And now the third point, the solution that renewal brings is unity. In verse 9, it talks about the mystery of his will. And then at the, ver- the end of verse 10, because remember, this is one long sentence, one long run-on sentence. Uh, at the end of verse 10, he finally states the ultimate climax of God's will when he says this. So the mystery of God's will is, skip to the end of verse 10, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's the goal. If the beginning was God's choosing before the foundation of the world, then the end, the goal, is unity amongst all whom God has chosen. Now, why does that matter? Why has Paul brought this up? Well, it's because God chose not just to bless one people, not just to bless one group, not just one race, not just one nation, not one tribe, not one language, but to bless all peoples on earth. And we get a picture of this in the book of Revelation where the apostle John, he gets to peek into the future to the end of all things uh, and then to the renewal of all things in heaven and on earth. And here's what he sees in Revelation uh, chapter 7, verse 9. He says, after this, I looked and there before me 
was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne uh, and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes. The implication is they've been cleansed. They've been freed from their sin. They were holding palm branches in their hands. They're celebrating the work that God has done. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now here's what that passage is showing us. The result of renewal is a unity that cuts across language, across nationality, across race, across socioeconomic lines. You name the line and the unity that you receive by being renewed in Jesus Christ cuts right across that line. Christian renewal means that I have a union with someone that is more foundational than race, more foundational than social strata, more foundational than nationality. It means I have a unity with people who I'll never understand a word that they say to me because they speak a different language. And think about what that means for our church. It means that our church ought to be a shining example of unity within the city. It means that within our church, there can be a unity that cuts across race and age and sex and education and wealth. There is a unity that is possible through the renewal that comes from the outside, the renewal that comes from Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead that is not possible in any other way. And it's all because of the doctrine of divine election. It's all because of that really hard doctrine that God chooses us and so therefore we choose him. Divine election means I can't possibly have more merit than anyone else in Christ. We're all Christians because of God's choice, not our own. We're all blessed by God freely, not because of family heritage or being from the right side of town or the right race or any other reason, but God's free, loving grace. And you see what happens when a bunch of people from all walks of life receive that, that's true unity. And that's only possible when you're renewed from the outside in. Now, I want to leave you with just a tiny picture of what this unity that comes to renewal looks like. Uh, and then I'm going to let you work it out with the Holy Spirit how you can live this out this week because it's such a huge thing. I'm just going to give you one picture. This is a very simple picture. It's not a life-changing example, but it is an example. Uh, years ago, when Emmy and I bought our first house, a friend from church was asking how it was going, and he knew that uh, we bought this foreclosed home that sat empty for over a year, and so he knew there were all kinds of issues and things that needed to be fixed in it. Um, and, uh, and so I told him that one of the problems uh, was a pretty serious leak under the kitchen sink. Like, if it didn't get fixed right away, we were going to have to rip out the cabinets because it was, it was bad. Um, once the water got turned back on, it was just constantly dripping water. And without any hesitation, my friend said to me, oh, great, I'll come fix that for you this weekend. Um, now, let me just back up and tell you who I was speaking to. This man was a top executive for one of the world's largest companies. And uh, the kind of person who could have not just paid for a plumber to come and fix it, but he, he could have bought the plumbing company uh, and just sent them to come, okay? And it wouldn't have even, it wouldn't have even made a difference in his bank account. This man came over to my house and he laid on the floor of my kitchen 
with his head under my dirty, nasty sink that had probably mold growing in it because of the leak, and he fixed it. And then on Monday, he probably got on the company's private jet to go to a board meeting in Manhattan. Why would he fix my sink? Why would that guy fix my sink? Not only that, but why would he, why would he and I ever even know each other? We come from totally different worlds, and yet he came to fix my sink. Well, it's because we're both people who have experienced the same renewal that comes from the outside in. And when you've experienced that, it means you have a unity with people who are so unlike you, so opposite to you, that the rest of the world looks on in bewilderment and says, how could those people be friends with each other? How could those people love each other? How could those people serve each other? And so that's the solution that renewal brings, unity of all things in heaven and on earth under Jesus Christ. And it all starts in your life where we started today. It all starts by looking up to God rather than looking in. It all starts by looking up to praise God rather than looking in. And as we do that, we experience renewal. And when we're all being renewed, we all are part of this amazing, life-changing community that is a beacon of hope to the world that looks in and says, how could those people be friends? How could those people love each other? So I don't know how you do that this week. I'm just going to pray that the Spirit shows you. Um, So let's do that now. Father, we, uh, we want to begin by looking up, by praising you, by offering you heartfelt praise because you are a loving Father who expresses your love to us through your Son and your Holy Spirit. And through your Son's work on the cross, we are renewed. And so we praise you for that work on our behalf. Father, we give you thanks. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.